Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. Each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Gina Radcliffe. Gina is one half of the Kill by Kill podcast and a writer and the associate editor for The Spool. According to her newspaper, The Daily Tomato, she makes excellent pancakes took out her own stitches with an exacto knife, what the fuck, and forecasted that the upcoming weekend is cloudy with a 75% chance of poop, which sounds about correct. <laughs> what do you have to say for yourself, what the Gina? Show, Gina? <laughs> that's, a, that's a big... Uh, I, somebody's looked at my website. That's awesome. That doesn't happen too often. <laughs> hey, you know, we do our research here. <laughs> so I, I have to ask about the stitches and the exacto knife, though. Ugh, um, God. It's not that it's not that horrible. It's just something I. It's uh, everybody's got that one weird bit of trivia about themselves. I <laughs> um, yeah. no. When I was maybe 
24 or 26, I, I took a spill and cut open my knee and got stitches. It was the first time I, I'd had stitches for surgery before, but never for, and, you know, just hurting myself, which is surprising because I'm a very clumsy person. So it's, it's remarkable. <laughs> it, it took more than 20 years for me to actually have to get stitches. And at the time I was working a lot and I couldn't fit in the time to go to a doctor to get the stitches removed and it was healed. So I'm looking at the wound and I'm like, it's like four or five stitches in my knee. And I'm like, well, how bad could it be if I just did it myself? And, and, <laughs> and my, uh, my then husband was, uh, he, he was an artist. So he had a lot of like, you know, wood carving tools and all. And among, among the things he had was a bunch of exacto knives. And I was like, hmm, exacto knives. What would what, they use? And they probably use a knife. I should probably use that. I'll use some, you know, rubbing alcohol. That'll work. And it, it, it's a weird sensation. I, I, I will tell you that to, to pull your own stitches out. Um, wow. But, but, wow. you know, I, the whole time I kind of had these sort of horrifying vision of like, you know, pulling on like my leg unravels or something like, <laughs> like, oh no, I, I pulled the wrong string. And, and it's sort oh of like the, uh, the lady with the, the, her, her like, uh, cloth necklace yes. around your neck, whatever they yeah. like, oh, can't take yeah, scarf off. Like, my leg just like... falls right off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, all right, I guess, I guess, and of course, you know, for the next couple of weeks, I like you know, frantically look for any time, any sign of like, infection or anything like that. But no, it just ended up turning into a you know, interesting bit of trivia. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've never actually had stitches. Um, I know, I feel like I'm, I need to like knock on some wood because I've never, I've never had stitches before. I've never broken a bone. Uh, oh, I, I, um, yeah, wow. yeah, this, I mean, it sucks. You know, I I don't. You know, I think actually the worst part is is you know, the, when they give you the um, the painkiller because uh, mm. you know, they have to put it like right there, <laughs> and then oh, like yeah. you know, before that, like you know, they had to clean it, and that sucks. And 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 you know, once you actually once once the uh, the anesthetic work you know, goes to work, kind of fascinating. Yeah, I I am like horrifically terrified of needles which is hysterical because if you've seen me in person i have several facial piercings and i'm covered in tattoos and for some reason that doesn't fuck me up but the idea of getting a shot and getting stitches makes me want to vomit when i was younger i I hurt in between my toes doing something very stupid and i had a panic attack because i thought i had to get stitches and i was hyperventilating in the car and my parents were like we've never seen you so upset wow and so the only, they only had to, and they had to, they glued it because it was between my toes. And the doctor was like, "Mary, if we were going to give you stitches, we'd have to break your toes. Do you want that?" I was like, "No, I don't want you to break my toes." So you know, I've I've upset quite a few doctors with my an excruciating panic about needles. So it's wow, it's fun. Like, wow. And so like, and I can't. So that's like the one thing I can't watch in horror movies is needles, like. You know in Saw 2 where she gets thrown into the pit of hypodermic needles? Yeah, oh, yeah. I've, seen, yeah I've seen that clip. Oh, yes. I had to run out of the room and I almost puked. That was what got me. <laughs> that part. Not any of the other gross fucking parts. That. I had to hide in the bathroom until it was over. It's very painful to watch, though, I have to say. <gasps> yeah, a lot of, a lot of the anyway. Saw traps. Like, I've only seen the first one and the fourth one. But I've seen clips of some of the other ones. And I think that one seems like... The most of them kind of really silly and over the top, but that one's just plausible enough to be horrifying. Yeah, I liked two from what I can remember. I haven't watched it in a long time. I think two's probably the best, honestly. Yeah, I would agree with that. 
Anyway, <laughs> after talking about stitches and hypodermic needles. <laughs> Speaking of which, how did you get into horror, Gina? <laughs> um, well, I had uh, had extremely permissive parents. Uh, so okay. I was born in the early seventies and my parents were pretty young when I was born. My dad, my mom was 20 and my father was 24 and they were kind of, I guess you, you could probably call them described them as hippies. And, and certainly they, they were more into <laughs> the idea of raising their kids like their peers rather than, you know, having a parent child relationship. So I, mm, I gotcha. didn't really, there really were no restrictions put on what I could read, what I could watch. So, I mean, I don't mean to sound like one of those like really pretentious people who, you know, oh yeah, I, I picked up uh, crime punishment when I was eight and I, and I read it from cover to cover, <laughs> but I was definitely reading stuff that I probably had no business reading at the oh, time. Yeah. Like I read, like I read the shining and the first time I was maybe uh, 10 and and I yeah. obviously I didn't understand much of what was going on in it. I didn't understand the 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 uh, the you know alcohol metaphors. I had you know I thought it was oh it's just a you know it's a spooky horror house a haunted house story. But um, my parents took me to we also you know rarely pay for a babysitter, so I would just end up going everywhere with them. And I think they took me to go see Halloween. Oh wow! Which uh, which definitely made an impression, but not interestingly, not quite as much of an impression as the movie we're going to talk about later. But I do remember feeling kind of vaguely uncomfortable at what was happening, and and again, not really getting it, but also getting that it was bad at the same time. If that makes sense, yeah. Um, but the first time I really watched something that truly, truly just you know won me over for you know as far as horror in general was uh, watching American World in London. Oh wow, yeah. Um, and I was uh, I would have seen I didn't see that in the theater. That was cable, so I would have been eleven, and that was just like, yep, you know what, this is for me. Yeah, I love this shit. I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it remains. It probably remains my favorite horror movie. I'm curious if that is like a, a trend because like the first like real horror movie that I, I saw was uh, a nightmare on Elm street. And that like, I mean, I'd seen like, you know, 1950s, 1930s, like horror, but like something that was actually like, to me, something that was horrific was that movie. And like, that is probably my favorite, one of my favorite movies period. And it was the first real horror movie that I ever saw. So that may, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely informed like the way I write. I tend to you know, mix a lot of you know, bad things in with humor. And, I, and mm. I think a lot of it starts with that. So yeah. What do you think were some of your favorite, well, horror favorites growing up? Um, there's that. Uh, I, I love the thing. Mm. Hell yeah. Uh, another, another, that was, that was probably the first one I saw that really grossed me out too. <laughs> yeah. Like, like just like, like, I have a very, very distinct memory of watching it at home, and I'm pretty sure I was eating spaghetti. Oh, no. <laughs> no. And, and, and it's like something out of a movie, you just kind of, the person sitting there, you know, you know, watching the TV and eating, and they just stop chewing. <laughs> it's just like, they look at the plate and, like, kind of puts it away. <laughs> and spaghetti especially, like, ooh. Right. <laughs> I, I, I just remember thinking, I, I just remember thinking, well, this is awful, and it's amazing at the same time. I'm going to cut this out because um, I, I want to s- save it for when when this movie gets covered, but I had a similar thing with uh, spaghetti actually. And um, the uh, uh, lost boys um, where they're oh. eating the noodles and it turns into bugs. Turns oh. into like, 
that like I wouldn't eat spaghetti for years um because of that but yeah I just I it just came to me because you were talking about it but I'm I'm gonna cut that this whole out because I don't I don't want to spoil it for later episodes that we're gonna eventually I'm assuming someone is gonna want to talk about the Lost Boys at some point is the Lost Boys scary though it's atmospheric I don't know if I would describe it as scary it scared me when I watched it but I was pretty young when I watched it I think yeah well yeah. yeah I think. Someone had to have seen it really young, yeah, and it and kind of fucked them up. That, impress- that impressionable age, yeah. yeah. I watched it, thought it was scary, and then watched it again, I thought they were all hot. So, like, you know. <laughs> scary hot, you know. That's, the two that's genders. Like... <laughs> <laughs> now I don't want to cut this out. Maybe I'll leave it in. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Um, so, going from being a kid to um, being an adult, what, what do you think draws you to horror now? Um... <sighs> Good question. It, um, it's, it's surprisingly something I don't think about too much because I don't want to project too much of my own psychological bullshit on it. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I know, I, I mean, people do and that's, it's okay, but, but like, if I do that too much, it, it kind of makes me uncomfortable, if that mm. makes sense. Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. Like, like, you know, I'm trying to think about, you know, when I went to go see Hereditary. I was like, okay, this movie is really bothering me, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and you know, in a way that I I can't really articulate why it's bothering me, and and then I realized it's because I I'm alternately drawn by and impacted by movies that have you know very negative family dynamic to them. Oh yeah, and and that's why I I tend to avoid I, I try to avoid them. Like there's two movies out right now. Um, that I have not been able to bring myself to watch yet is a relic. Oh. And, and, and the other one is uh, The Dark and the Wicked. Oh, there's... Okay. Yes. <laughs> don't... Like, they're fucking amazing, but also, like, yeah, you would probably have a hard time. <laughs> yeah, and, and another movie, like, like I, I thought The Babadook was excellent, but, like, it's so evocative of what, like, mental illness and depression feels like. Yeah. That, like, mm, this not something I'm going to watch for fun anytime soon. Yeah. yeah, I definitely think that Relic will definitely is definitely one of those movies that I can completely understand not not wanting to watch because yeah, was, I, mean, I want to, and I'm just like, mm, that's maybe not such a good. Time you got to right you now. have to be in like the right headspace because like especially if you come from a family that is dealt with that are dealing with dementia and stuff, it's kind of a really hard watch. So I I get that completely. <laughs> And then Dark and the Wicked is just fucking sad. Like there, there's like no headspace to be in to watch that movie. I've decided it's like such a Brian Bertino, just nihilistic. Like everything is bad. It's beautifully made, but it's just like there's nothing happy. It's just bleak. Maybe maybe, maybe things are better in the real world. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say like really really hits different in 2020 when you watch it and you're like cool i didn't think i could sink any deeper into the depression <laughs> exactly. boy oh boy it's like it's like well like, i couldn't get up off the couch now i can't get up off the floor <laughs> <laughs> that happened to me when i watched Stark in the wicked i was like do i have to move now like <laughs> that uh, seriously it, it's funny because like i remember tweeting about how how like bleak the film is and then tony kaufman friend of the show he's like he's reached he'd reached out to me in dms and he's like can you compare it to the movie? How bleak is it? And I'm like, I mean, it's probably the bleakest movie I, I think I've seen in like forever. Cause like, it just, it's, it's so, I mean, I guess it, it's, I think the lodge is probably also another bleak film, but like, Jesus I would, Christ, I would gosh. actually say this is more bleak than that one just because of the stuff that it's about, you know, but yeah. Anyway, <laughs> 2020 man. <laughs> exactly. 
everything's shitty. <laughs> so, so you take those are the kind of movies that's like still scare, like kind of evoke a fear that maybe you felt when you were younger or still scare you. Because I know we talk so much about how a lot of people, us included, are jaded by horror movies at this point, where it's like. I still, we still have emotional reactions, but they don't scare us as much. Like, do you still experience that kind of fear with horror movies? It seems like you kind of do, but I, you know, is it? I, I, I do, but it's um, like another one I, I found like you kind of got under my skin was just uh, the remake of Suspiria, mm. and 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 I think it's just because it was just so the imagery and it was just so unsettling. It's like, am I seeing this or am I basically just losing my mind right now? <laughs> yeah. Has, has, has the, has, has, has the nervous breakdown finally commenced? Uh, yeah. At the ending, especially, it's just like, uh, am I in the theater still? Like, am I here? Or like, have I just been transported to like a dissociation plane? <laughs> right. Exactly. I, I find that they don't scare me so much anymore. It's just they disturb me, which, yeah. which, you know, okay, is, is yeah. always, always the same thing. Like I thought midsummer was disturbing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I loved it, but it was disturbing, and 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 I think that I've also gotten to the point now where I I I you know I stop pushing certain movies on people because I know you know you're not gonna like this, you know? Right. I mean, like like I mean, I, there's a lot of movies that I like that I won't recommend to people because I know yeah, you're <laughs> not, you're not gonna enjoy this at all. That's so funny. Where I talked about we talked about this a couple times, but like when it was Halloween. All my coworkers like, oh, you love horror movies. What do you like? I'm like, oh god, I like weird. Sh- like, I don't like fun <laughs> things. I like things that make you upset. But then I have to like pretend, not pretend, but I like, I don't want to like totally let them know how like kind of weird and deranged my tastes are. So I have to like pretend or like give them picks that are like hopefully less scary. But then I'm like, I don't know. Hopefully they don't think I'm a fucking weirdo. Like. <laughs> Oh yeah, when I was a teenager, I went through a a you know a movie snob trip. Oh and, yes, and and I recommended to a lot of people a Clockwork Orange. Oh no, I, just, <laughs> I went through the same phase, Gina. I was like, read the book and like watch the movie, and everyone's like, "Are you fucking okay?" Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, I watched it. That was awful. Why would you make me watch that? I'm like, I don't know. I thought it was good. <laughs> you know? like, yeah. So I, I, I tend to be very selective about what I recommend to people. Ah, yes. Like, like I brought up, I brought up uh, the lighthouse to someone. And I'm <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm like, I, I, I loved it. It's one of my favorite last movies of last year. You're not gonna like it though. <laughs> <laughs> I do that a lot. I'm like, I loved it, but I swear it's not for you. Like, right. <laughs> do you want a black and white movie about a guy yelling at a seagull and like losing his mind slowly? <laughs> no. Well. That's your loss. <laughs> but there's a lot of jerking off in it. A lot oh, of jerking off. <laughs> a lot of jism. <laughs> the only thing my partner knows about that movie is the word jism, because all I do is say, I feel I'm terrible. I'm like, the, I like that movie a lot, but all I do is talk about that like a 12-year-old boy. So, you know, I contain multitudes. If I had a steak, I'd fuck it. <laughs> The best line the whole movie. It really is. <laughs> like the writing is just so good. Anyway, <laughs> I'm choking. I know. Um, but moving forward to some of your creative projects. So we talked to Patrick last week about how he saw the Kill by Kill podcast come to life. So we want to hear your story about it. How did you get involved? In the project, in the podcast, and like, what's the process been like? I mean, I would love to tell you a really super interesting story, but basically, he <laughs> just like reached out to me on on Facebook Messenger and asked if I wanted to be on his podcast. Yep, uh, we were um, we were both in the uh, a group for the the, the Flophouse podcast, mm-hmm. and I think I 
barely interacted with him that I can recall. Um, like, I mean, it's kind of funny. We have a very good rapport, but we did not know each other at all before before starting the uh, the the podcast, and now we're like. BFFs, <laughs> and which is weird because because I tend to be very like pretty pretty shy and, and awkward in real life. Mm, me too. Uh, and according to him, so is he. But you know, we just kind of really hit it off really quickly. And um, now he, you know, just messaged me one night, said he had an idea for a podcast, and I actually was thinking about because I had my own podcast years ago, like more than a decade ago, and I'd been kind of vaguely thinking about starting a new one so it was kind of you know kismet that he you know popped up and asked about this and i was like yeah sure why not thinking thinking, you know either he wouldn't bother following up with it or or (laughs) that we would just do a couple episodes and that was that but you know it's been four and a half years now almost that's crazy that's awesome and like i think it's so funny because i think a lot of podcasts are like that's how this one started, really. Like, a DM, like, hey, should we do this? And then it just, like, happens. Yeah, that's it. It, it just happens. Sometimes sometimes you, you you it's better maybe to not go into stuff like this with too much planning or too much, you know, oh, expectations. Yeah. Because then you, you know, you, you run the risk of just, you know, letting everybody down. It's just, you know, you, let's just kind of see how this goes, see how it happens. So I, I know Patrick really likes uh, the Friday the 13th series. What What is your relationship to the to the series that you guys have, have covered on, on the show? Um, I vastly prefer the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Sorry, Patrick, but... Gina's, uh, Gina's in the right place. <laughs> it's a superior series. I'm sorry. I, I, think, I don't think that I don't think that any of the Friday Thirteenth movies are scary. I think that they're no. I think that they're well made for the most part. I mean, the 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 you know there's a certain definite drop off in quality after after a point, but the the first Nightmare on Elm Street is, is definitely one of the scariest slasher movies I've ever seen. Correct, and and it. It gets to me in particular because for about as long as I remember, I've had like, I've had sleeping problems. Mm. And, and, you know, I always had very vivid dreams and, and, you know, I have, um, I occasionally get, uh, sleep paralysis. Oh. Yeah. And that's no fun. Um, so, you know, this kind of, you know, got to me. It's not, it doesn't, it doesn't make as much of an impact as it did when I first saw it, but it still, mm-hmm. it still gets to me. It still works. Whereas for me, Friday the Thirteenth, they're 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 silly and entertaining. They're not scary to me. Yeah, I same. I agree with that too. I well, and I watched the first two Friday the Thirteenth to talk to Patrick, and I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> like, I was just really conf- I I don't know. I didn't know much about like the whole thing. I just knew Jason Voorhees had a hockey mask, and then I was like, wait, I'm so used to Freddy having like a very established aesthetic. And from so, the very beginning. From the very beginning. So Friday the 13th kind of threw me off. I mean, I think I think the second one, especially, like I think they're very well made. But like like we are all in agreement here, I think Nightmare on Elm Street is much more horrifying. Gina, I also had really intense dreams as a kid. So that And this movie got to me because of that. I was like, oh, fuck. Like, this could happen to me because my, <laughs> my dreams feel too goddamn real. So it's really disarming when, the, when like you realize that people can put that into a film. And you're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. oh, you know what happens in my brain sometimes. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, also, so you also write at the at the spool. How um, mm-hmm. how did you get involved with with writing? Uh, oh, well, I've I've been 
writing as long as I can remember. Yeah. Uh, this is kind of my first professional, my, my professional uh, assignment. Um, I, I knew the editor uh, online and I've been writing on my own blog for a while, mostly just you know, doing you know, movie reviews. Mm-hmm. I, I reviewed a lot of old, old television from when I was a kid. And he just reached out to me and asked if I wanted to start do- reviewing for his, for his site. I was like, yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to. And then, and you know, that's kind of how it happened from there. What do you usually write about at at the spool? I kind of am sort of the horror person. Okay. Uh, Usually if, uh, if uh, I've done a lot of, you know, stuff that's, then a lot of reviews for stuff that's come out on Shudder. I did, uh, I covered uh, Lovecraft Country. I did uh, the recaps, weekly recaps for that. Um, I got assigned to do uh, to cover the um, the Nightstream Festival, which was this year. Oh, cool! Uh, so I got to see um, Run, which is the big movie coming out now with the with Sarah Paulson. Oh yeah, that's really good. It is good. It's quite good, and uh, a lot of a couple very weird, kind of more you know, more artsy than horror kind of movies like. Uh, uh, Black Bear with Aubrey Plaza. Oh yeah, I saw which is also this was also a, a very unsettling movie. It really was. If you, if you are into movies about uh, alternate realities, and uh, I compared it a lot to uh, I don't know if either of you have ever seen um, uh, the one I love with the with the Elizabeth Moss. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that movie is yeah, so good. It's very it's it, uh, to me it felt very similar okay. in, in, in its flavor to that. Cool. Okay, then I will definitely. Christopher I Abbott see is it. just hot. He really is hot. I love him. Yeah. I love him so much. <laughs> I I agree. <laughs> um, I want agreement and everything. This is great. Yeah, <laughs> we're very in sync. I love it. Christopher Abbott. I'm the third, I'm the third host now. <laughs> there you go. Welcome, and actually, Gina, this is a ploy to just tell you that you're on the podcast forever now. So. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Patrick, we've taken her away from you. Um, On that note, Gina, what movie have you brought with you today to discuss? I brought the 1979 Toby Hooper TV movie Salem's Lot. Do you believe a thing can be inherently evil? Marston House, for instance. How do you like that old house? Needs work, but we have time. Open the window. He commands it. Quiet little town of Salem's Lot. Oh, it's only all just happened since. Since I came here. Well, well. Tried to rape me. The vampires are creating vampires. Thing is yeah, you know, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Bill, Bill! Where are you, Sammy, darling? Mr. Barlow is on a buying trip, but the moment he arrives, he'll enjoy Mr. Barlow. He'll enjoy you. Salem's Lot. Um, Salem's Lot, which is based on a novel by Stephen King, is a TV miniseries about a novelist and a young horror fan who attempt to save a small New England town which has been invaded by vampires. That was like the easiest synopsis yeah. I could find online. Yeah, it is. It it doesn't get any more basic than yeah. that. It doesn't get it doesn't get any more elevator pitch than that. It doesn't really tell you much though. <laughs> and that's why we're here to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, Gina, how old were you when you saw this? Paint us the picture. Tell us your horror story about Salem's Lot. 
Well, it's very providential that we're talking about this because this is the it, it aired on this very I day. Know. I like, <laughs> like it's so cool. I know I saw that I saw that in the vegetarian. Like, how do we keep fucking doing this? Like, we don't even know it's the anniversary and we're recording on the anniversary which is so cool yeah it is i i, I thought that was kind of i thought that was neat myself i was like oh totally unplanned <laughs> it's it's just it's one of those weird kismet things i'm pretty sure i watched the when when it, when it was originally on so i would have been seven. Oh, oh wow God. yeah <laughs> huh. explains so much about me now <laughs> <laughs> so you watched it like do you remember the experience of watching it and like what scared you the most about it and what really got under your skin oh well yeah i mean my answer is not very original it's uh it's it's, it's little, little ralphie glick in front of hanging out in front of his window yep that yep. that makes sense that that and um w- the one scene that's now even scarier to me is uh when when mike shows up at the at the, the, the at matt burke's house again Rocking chair. Oh yeah. Oh and it, my god. Yes. And it's so spooky. And I, I actually rewatched it because today was a work from home day for me. I, I had it on while I was working. I was like, "How did this get on television in 1979?" Not because it's, it's bloody or anything. It's really not. Um, but it's really scary for for you know what what you know what a lot of people don't realize is you know 70s horror was much of it was very suggested rather than rather than shown Mm -hmm. and i i'm like i'm surprised how well the effects of uh, barlow hold up that's a pretty creepy looking creation creation. yeah this uh it's genuinely unsettling you've got dead children and 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 you know i'm I'm amazed at how much they were able to get away with same um (laughs) it's 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 wild that I I, w- I made a comment in one of my notes that like these are the gen- the most gentle vampires though because like every time they go in for like a bite it goes it like it almost is like they are leaning there and then pausing for like them to cut so like yes! the bites the bites are yes. really gentle I was like ah it's so sweet he's like coming in and he's biting and he just sort of pauses <laughs> some of the editing is so funny in this though like when I think it's when um the guy in the red the, the, the having the affair Fred, Fred, Fred Will- Willard, Fred Willard. Young Fred Willard yes. walks out and all of a sudden <laughs> Barlow's like ha huh, and his hand is there and it just like zooms in very like I like, I like, I like that I like that, that cut too. I love it with, like, with that great singer that <laughs> yes oh it's so good so you 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 think you saw this on television when it aired when it first aired? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I do. I, I remember my parents being there. I think my my uncle was there, and probably one of my cousins. We were all just gathering around the television. I, it's the event. It, it's event programming. Yeah, it was a two, it was a two night it was a two night uh, miniseries. 
the funny thing is, is, is again, in rewatching it, I've watched it quite a few times. I always forget that it, it kind of takes a little while to get going. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, you know, surprised that it managed to hold my attention as a seven year old. That's so that funny. That was the thing I was going to ask you because <laughs> Mary Beth messages me yesterday. And I was like, where's the vampire? Uh, literally, no, it was so funny because I texted him, like, I'm kind of bored. Like, I don't, I feel bad saying this, but like, this is kind of boring and I fell asleep watching it. I was also having a bad day yesterday that's probably not the movie's fault but still and then <laughs> and then as soon as i texted him barlow attacks fred willard and i was like oh shit there's the vampire and or was it that or ralphie i can't remember which one comes first ralphie comes ralphie first. Comes I think first. They're rather roughly around the yeah same yeah. Time. yeah because uh because straker goes to get ralphie for him and then he, barlow goes to get crockett like that's right <laughs> and yeah because you got those two dudes who are like like too scared to to, to lock up the uh the house like he told them to yeah. yeah and so i was i had a very similar feeling of being like i mean this feels very stephen king like very much developing these characters and relationships and when terry said that to me i could i appreciated it more but it definitely for a seven-year-old i cannot believe it held your attention because i would have been like bye <laughs> well um have you guys have either of you ever read the book it's one of my favorite books me too oh it's such a good book and, and it's such a it's such a faithful adaptation of yes it. like like even the even the the changes they made to it like the the two probably the two biggest changes were they changed Barlow from like a regular looking guy, like a Nosferatu yeah. type vampire. And, and it was mostly because the producers didn't want them to be sexy vampires. They wanted to, they wanted to be scary. I, I can understand that. <laughs> and then, uh, they basically just, they, they, uh, they, uh, combined a couple characters. Yeah. Uh, like, like Fred Willer's character, uh, Larry Crockett was, um, not the same character who was having the affair with the guy's wife. That was a separate uh, character. Yeah. I mean, and again, it's so, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things because Fred Lord's character ends up dying. Anyway, yeah. So. <laughs> like very unceremoniously. I, like he has like a pretty big role, then all of a sudden he disappears and like is gone. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, okay. I, I'm, dis I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed that we were, that we lost out on seeing vampire Fred Willard. Right? Oh my God. <laughs> Did you read the book? I'm assuming you read the book after you saw the movie, right? Oh yeah. But not till, not till quite a while, yeah. quite a while later. And then, and, and yeah, it is, it is one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite books. I have a confession. It's one of the few Stephen king books that i've not read oh you must it's so i know you have I, to it's i, so I really wanted good. to read it before we recorded because i just didn't i just didn't have like time if you're one of those people who thinks he he, he really needs a, a more uh, aggressive editor uh read this because he this is just perfect storytelling yeah it's so good and it's his second book i believe is it a second book Ye I yes think, yeah um and i have though this is i have never seen the tv movie because i loved the book so much and I love that book. I brought it with me. I would read it in high school and I brought it with me every day to school. So it was really beat up. And I used to babysit um, two of my brother's friends in the morning. Their parents were nurses and had weird shifts. So I would go over there really early to watch them in between their shifts. And I would read Salem's Lot on the couch. And it's, you know, I got scared. And they had this parakeet that they let free roam the house. 
Um, I hate birds already. Like birds are just like fucking terrifying to me. I don't like them. They creep me out. Like it's just too much. This fucking parakeet in the middle of me reading a scare. I can't even remember the part, but it was a scary part of Salem's Lot. Flies onto my head and starts attacking my head. Oh shit! And then wouldn't get off my back and would peck me every time I tried to move. Oh god! While I was reading Salem's Lot, and like it's just such a weird memory. But that's what I have associated with Salem's Lot is getting attacked by a parakeet and having to sit there in fear of both vampires and a small bird trying to attack the back of my neck. <laughs> but yeah, it's. Weird. it's- I love it. I love wow. it. But yeah, if you are kind of burned out on vampires being like like super sexual and 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 all, like this is the cure for that yeah. because basically here it just it's treated like a disease. If if, any, if anything, like you'll probably you know, you hit different right now. Yeah. Uh, because it's just it, it just spreads. It just spreads to the t- oh spreads to the town. They knocked into my microphone. Goodness. Well, and so that's interesting. I know that. Well, Terry, I want to hear about how you saw this first, but I know there's a, I have a lot of thoughts about that as like vampire vampirism as contagion that I want to talk about with this movie because I think that's really terrifying rather than like one person turning people into vampires slowly, like this kind of really rapid turning event is really interesting to me because it reminds me of 30 Days of Night, which is one yeah, of, which is yeah. one of my all-time favorite movies. Yeah, I like that one too. And this feels like a borrowed quite a few like things from it obviously they're very different but in terms of like a stranger comes to a town to prepare and then something and things start getting kind of weird and then these vampires appear and while obviously 30 days of night is an absolute blood feast is a very similar way but spreading across the town and the town getting set on fire like there's just an interesting kind of i didn't realize that that's kind of a through line in horror history with, with movies like this so I'm really fascinated in that those kind of correlations between the two. There's a there's actually a, a lot of correlations I think with this movie and and movies that got released afterwards. Oh yeah, because um, like oh yeah, well yeah, this started this started the whole image of the vampire floating outside the window, which has yeah. been that was in the Lost Boys, it was parodied mm-hmm. in the Simpsons. Join us, Lisa. It's so cool. You get to stay up all night drinking blood. And if you say you're a vampire, you get a free small soda at the movies. No! No! Lisa, it's not like you have a choice here. It started here. That's that's where that that's where that uh, that trope started. Is it in Fright Night too? It uh yes, it is in Fright Night. Okay. Correct, yeah. I just like I always lump all of those movies together. I'm like they all feel like they feed off of each other, like Fright Night, Lost Boys, and all that stuff. The finale of Lo- of Fright Night is borrowing really heavily from this movie with with the house and the staircase. Like our, yeah. the staircase, watching the staircase sequence and like uh Straker that's like all of a sudden has like superhuman strength and is lifting someone up and he gets shot on the staircase. Like it's yeah, it's definitely pulled. It's definitely where like Billy that the character Billy in Fright Night gets pulled from because it, it's very similar in in the entire entirety of it because they even go down into the cellar where in this movie whereas and they go in the cellar in in uh in Fright Night like there's definitely homages here and even there's and then this movie has homage to other movies like uh like Bill Norton going up the stairs is clearly shot like Psycho oh yeah. yeah that that definitely popped in my mind too when when i was watching it this time because like that scene in psycho is is the scene that that we t- i've talked about this in the podcast that that's the scene that like terrified me as a kid um when i first saw it and like watching this now and, and having seen psycho like maybe 
less than six months ago. Um, again, I was like, oh yeah, this definitely is pulling that 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 scene. But so Gina, we've talked a lot about like some of the inspirations and all, all this from Salem's Up. But to go back to when you first saw this, like, what was the effect on you after watching this? Were there nightmares? Like, were you scared of certain things? Like, what was kind of the the the, the um aftershocks of watching Salem's Lot at a young age? Well. I yeah I feel like I was always kind of a super you know imaginative kid mm, and mm-hmm. and you know and sometimes that's a could be a good and a bad thing <laughs> so it's more like you know that the uh, you know I would stay up late convinced that I could hear someone else have my window mm. um I also got into a habit of uh, insisting on leaving my closet door open the night before oh, I went to sleep. Interesting. Yeah. So, like, because I, if, you know, if it was closed, I wouldn't be able to see if there's anything in there. Oh, and, um, logical. It is logical. Yeah, exactly. And um, it was kind of a, uh, it was kind of wild that I also had the thing where I would, if I had to get into, if I had to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom or whatever, and I would get into back into bed, I would uh, stand in the middle of the floor and kind of just sort of leap into bed without so my feet wouldn't be yep. near the uh yep. close enough to the side of the bed to get pulled under mm-hmm. and you know with the Stephen king connection that was also the little boy in cujo did yes. that yes which i thought was uh it was both in the book and in the movie and i i really felt that you know i really felt seen I really, yes. I really related i really related to that yeah, you know, when I watched I watched Kuja for the first time for the podcast, and I was like, "That kid, that's me. That's me as a child." Like I exactly like Terry said, I feel so seen in terms of like running yeah. into my bed, like a running jump. And it's true, like when you you know, you're a little kid, you see like that tree branch outside, and it looks like a fingers, and you know you can really just kind of you train your brain to seeing things that aren't there. It's really wild what a kid's brain, well, any brain, but like when you're a kid, especially like the things you can trick yourself into is wild totally yeah <laughs> yeah so i i remember i i had seen this movie as a kid okay. um, my dad loves vampires um <laughs> loves dracula loves all that so like i saw this and okay when i sat down to watch this again i could not remember any scene from this movie mm. but then as i was starting to watch it like it was immediate things started coming back like it, it was almost as if like i had like uh ESP and I could see what was going to happen next. He's like, Oh, I remember what's going to happen next. Cause I remember in particular, um, watching this again, obviously, uh, Mark's room with like his horror aesthetics, the, the kid, how he has like, he's doing like modeling stuff, like making models of, of monsters and stuff. I remember doing that as a kid. I had the mummy and I remember getting super glue everywhere, trying to like glue that goddamn thing together. <laughs> so like there are things that started coming back as I was watching this. Of course, Ralphie floating outside of Danny's room, I think is iconic. Um, I actually think his scene floating is a lot more effective than Danny's as an adult when Danny is, is then floating outside of Mark's room. I would agree with that, I think. I think that it's, it is, it is, but I also find it very heart-wrenching how, how Mark is crying like, yeah. Yeah. When, he, when, he's, when he's driving he's driving Danny away. And it's just like, oh, that's so realistic. Yeah, I don't think I was like, I have, I read the book a while ago, so I couldn't remember like a lot of the details, but I was really surprised how touching and sad this movie was. And how oh, many yeah. points I was just like, this is just like absolutely heartbreaking. Like this town is just f- literally falling apart. Like it is so sad. Oh yeah, yeah. One of the one of the great things, uh, you know. And I wish now supposedly they're they're making another version of it. And I I keep hearing conflicting 
stories that it's either an adaptation of the book or an adaptation of the short story that was added to the special edition later. Um, but I, I would love to see a, a slightly longer, like maybe like a, like a, you know, yeah, exactly. The outsider where they have a little bit more time to develop like the story of Hubie Marston and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and kind of more really get across the fact that this town is dying on the vine. And, and, and I think it would, you know, again, to keep continuing on the, on looping back around to the, you know, how it would hit today. You know, I think I would be, it would, it would really hit a different way. This, you know, this town just, it doesn't seem to have any sort of like, we don't know what like the, the economy is. We don't know what anybody does for a living. You know, it seems to be very, you know, blue collar, just hanging on. Mm-hmm. And of course, this is, this is a, a well that Stephen King has dipped from many, many, many times. Yeah. You know, there's these characters are you know quite similar in a lot of ways to to characters in, in Needful Things and oh, yeah. and, uh, and uh, to a certain extent it and you know it's a whole you know small town where there's all these you know kind of dark secrets going on. Like one of my favorite s- sequences in the book because it's so creepy and has nothing to do with vampires at all. Is <laughs> this is back before you know any of our times? But there used to be something called party lines. Are you a great person? Not bad to look at, but have a hard time breaking the ice. We've got your number. Call and meet lots of new people or just listen in. Maybe you're fresh out of a relationship and ready to meet new people. We've got your number. Call Party Line and meet up to eight people at a time. Sick of the single scene? We've got your number. I'm so glad I called. Me too. I really like your laugh. Let's do it again soon. Call now. A lot of great people are waiting to meet you. $3 plus toll if any. Oh yeah, where, where you would just uh, you could just kind of listen in on people's phone calls. Yep, and, and it was basically the town was gossiping, and like it kind of mentions little stories about like like one guy's a child molester, and and another one beats his wife, and and it's just like all this kind of gruesome stuff kind of happening under the surface. And you, and you kind of get the idea that you know, maybe it's not a bad thing. This town gets wiped off the map by the story. Yeah, I mean, because like there's not a lot of good people in it, as it turns out. Like, like one one uh, aspect they left out of the movie was that uh, uh, Susan, the uh, the uh, uh, the her- the hero's girlfriend, her the mother, sort of love reason, interest, sort of love interest, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, like, the mother just does not like him as she, yeah. like, you know, makes insinuations. Oh, one of the things is, in, um, a lot of people seem to equate writer, being a writer with being some kind of, you know, untrustworthy weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> then, I mean, the, are they wrong? The, <laughs> just yeah, that's, that's true. No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. But, like, you know, oh, my mom wishes I dated this other guy, the plumber. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's like, who, who, who. You know, clearly has some anger management issues, but you know he's not a writer, at least. You know, when when you were talking about having like um, an overactive imagination as a kid, what this movie brought back for me, and I think it was a combination of seeing this movie and then seeing Fright Night um, immediately afterwards, is I have a vivid memory of asking one of my friends because, like, my my I was never brought up with with religion. Um, I think that outside of going to a funeral or a wedding. I maybe have been in a church twice in my life for like wedding funeral type stuff. But one of my friends was, was Catholic. And I remember begging him to (laughs) steal some holy water for me. 
Oh shit! <laughs> because I had like this 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 image um, in my head of how the in this movie the the holy water would would glow blue and like alert you that there was vampires nearby. And so I wanted to have it because I was firmly convinced the vampires were a real thing and I wanted to be prepared, not for like a scary thing, like I wasn't terrified, but like I wanted to be the person that was going to save everybody. And so I needed to have holy water. Yeah, but, but I wonder if like, like, because it's like Fright Night, if you don't believe what it worked or not. Well, that's well, that's the other thing. Yeah, I, I never really thought about that, I guess, as a kid. <laughs> You're just like, I want to be ready and prepared for the vampire war. I remember making like fake crosses out of like uh like tongue depressors and stuff like Wait. the kid had like I had like that kind of stuff. It wasn't a tongue depressor. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I had little pieces of like stuff that I was taping together to make crosses from. Like I was I was Mark growing up. That's so funny. One of my favorite parts is when he makes the um, the crucifix out of a tongue depressor. I'm like, is that going to yep. work? And it does. But like that scene's also really scary in the morgue. But I was kind of laughing. I was like, what? And then that moment happens like you know what that's very good very yeah very i think good. it's almost something just in a vague cross shape i mean remember uh uh you know if you ever seen john carpenter's vampires where they oh, basically yeah. just, just mount people over a crossbar of a tow truck <laughs> <laughs> i think about that every time i see one of those style of the tow trucks i always think of john carpenter's <laughs> vampires which is a shame because that movie sucked yeah i've heard yeah. i haven't seen it but i've heard bad things and i'm like do i really want to waste my time i saw that in theaters and i wow. i remember very little about it um, it's not good. No, very bloody, but not good. When I, when it came out, I was like closeted at the time, but like I remember being really attracted to. Um, I forget is it Curse Smith? Is he in it? I can't remember which one he was in. I think he was in that one. Um, speaking of uh, being closeted. <laughs> okay, before we get to that, before we get to that, I want to talk about another vivid memory that I had of oh, this yes. of this movie. Yes, yes, yes. Because I could not remember what movie this was from and watching it this time was was very like uncomfortable f- for me because it's the scene where Cully holds the gun up to Crockett's mouth. Oh yes. It's so phallic and it's so like mixing violence as well as like sexual assault in there yes. because the way that he's making him he's like hold on to this he's like asking him to hold it up to his face like he's coaxing him to do it. <laughs> Good boy. <laughs> Now hold it up in front of your face. That's it, right in front. That's it, right in front. Careful. Move that barrel, Larry, and I'll blow you away. It's like it's 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 basically like a metaphor for for like assault right there. That's interesting you say that too because his wife was like he he broke in and raped me like that was her mm-hmm. first go to accusation yeah. which was a choice but you know whatever but that's but, such an know, interesting like way to think about that moment. Well, the interesting the interesting thing about that Terry is that that um. They filmed two versions of that scene. And that's what I was going to get to because yeah. in my memory, in my memory, I remember him putting the gun in his mouth. Now, open your mouth and put both barrels in. That's it. Open 
Your mouth. Let's see all those white teeth. <laughs> yes. Because oh. apparently... I had my parents had a bootleg copy of the European cut, which was shorter. Ah. It was like 112 minutes, but it had more gore into it. But I have a memory and I thought I was misremembering it because I actually remember Crockett putting the barrel in his mouth. And I was like doing some search online because he doesn't do that in the version that's on Shutter, And that is when I realized that it was actually in the European cut that he did that. And that's even more upsetting. (laughs) Yeah. yeah and it's, it's funny. And, and in the book, uh, the character that, well, I think in the book, it's, uh, Corey is the name of the character in the book. It's a separate character from Crockett. But basically when that happens, he shits his pants. Oh, I would <laughs> like, too. Literally, like, literally, like literally, you know, I mean, fair. Sense. Seeing this and seeing kind of like the, the sort of homoerotic undertones of this, this movie is very queer. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I didn't realize it until this watch, just how many characters in this are queer coded, starting with even Ben. I think the main character is um, is is coded as is a queer man. Well, yeah. And, and certainly uh, like in the in the book, again, going back to Susan's mother, uh, I mean, literally, she calls him, you know, forgive me, she calls him a faggot mm-hmm. and, and because he's a writer. <laughs> It's like, right. like, it's like, okay, I, I guess, I guess it's small town New England in the 70s. Yeah, I guess somebody who was considered artsy or whatever, not like you know, a blue collar man, you know, his sexuality would be suspect. Well, and they even in the book, even on the book, the movie. What's his book about? Well, his uh, latest one, it's about um, two men. Not one of those. Yeah, Not so right they even the include bat. that in yeah. the. They included so the that in the, the show. The one thing that's weird is that, like, for some reason, everybody keeps dancing around what these books are about. And, and I'm not really, and, and like, you know, implying that they're, that they're not good books. Like, there's a running gag where, oh, you're a writer. Have you read my, have you read any of my books? No. <laughs> or, 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 you know, oh, I read your book. What'd you think? Oh, I don't know. I didn't finish it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, everybody's just kind of rude in this town. And yeah. Like, they don't, you know, they sort of alternately treat him like he, he is, you know, an interesting oddity and yet not to be trusted at the same time. Yeah. Which is, which is, which is funny. You can kind of see that in the way that everyone in the movie treats him as well. Like I even kind of not around that, but sort of like along with, with the sort of queer coding of it, when he's with Susan, it's, it's kind of, they have a very awkward lack of chemistry. And she even asks him, are you uncomfortable with me? And he mentions that he has a habit of avoiding questions. Like this, this guy is, is trying to, is slowly figuring out, I think through this movie that he doesn't like women. I really do huh. think this. I, I don't know. I, I I will say I don't know if that was Stephen King or the uh I, I the name of the person who adapted the screenplay slipped my mind. I don't know if that was their specific intention. Probably but, not. But, but I could see the, the takeaway from that. Though. I could but see I mean, the interpretation making sense. A lot of it has to do with when when you are looking back at, at movies where you know at its time that this with that the book was written. Uh, homosexuality was still considered a mental issue. Um, so you have that aspect of it. And then you also have the idea that like, when you look at characters, you had the Hayes code, you had all of the stuff that we were slowly coming out of where people couldn't be overtly gay or anything 
queer. And so you would, you would see the queerness as being like a, a villainous thing. So mm-hmm. in this movie with the history of the Marston house, you know, you, you find out about Hubie. Then he came here and the young boys in the area started to disappear. Some people suspected Hubie Marston, but it was never proved was basically a pedophile and a child murderer, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, there's that aspect of it. So you have the only overtly queer-esque character being someone that is a rapist. And then you have, like, the 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 two um, antiquers, which antique in queer coding means gay. It just does. Like, if there's a character... Oh, yeah, if, there's, yeah, yeah. if there's men who are antiquing, <laughs> they are queer. Even Fright Night does that in the 80s with Jerry. Oh, that's with, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's Jerry. Yeah, that's absolutely... They're, they're particularly in Fright Night there because you see them... Inter- you don't actually see Barlow and Straker interact with each other in this. No, but um, even with his... Even with Straker's conversation with the, the constable, you know, he's like... Right, right, um, right. There's that conversation where he's like, well, you don't, you, I'm a suspect become a stranger and a little odd. And the constable's like, well, you, you know how we are here. And Stricker talks about his partner, but, and you could take it as a business partner, but then he's like, this is our retirement. Like there's absolutely like the, the film is trying to say that they are at least presenting as a gay couple. Well, and, yeah, and I think that they got a, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go oh, no, ahead. So I was like, it's, it's so, I was thinking about like the Renfield-Dracula relationship where I know like a lot of these are based off of and how it's evolved into this interesting mm. way of navigating queer relationships. Because obviously, Dra- I mean, Dracula is like, very queer the book but like and it's become more queer with time like in terms of adaptations and stuff but like this whole renfield dracula like master and servant dynamic has really become very queer and i think that's really interesting and also has been interpreted in really interesting ways because like in fright night you know the two of them are like you said you know they're seen together they're like interacting they seem rather intimate and then like I know what Barlow looked like, but I expected him to be like a very cute old man with a mustache, like to walk in with Straker and they like matching suits just because of the way he talked about him. And like, well, he's like, that's how he described, he's described in the book too. Yeah. He described a sort of this European looking. Yeah. And then, and then he, and then he gets younger looking as, as, as the story goes on. Oh. And then when they did, uh, TNT did a, a, uh, an adaptation of it, I think we want to say 2004. Oh, oh yeah. With Rob Lowe and uh, Rutger Hauer played oh, uh, Hauer! Uh, uh, Barlow in it, yeah, like in 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 in, uh, in human form. Yeah, it's not very good, unfortunately. But, but uh, <laughs> I was going to ask if it was. I've I've never seen it, but I, I mean, can't so imagine. Inter- it some was... interesting, some interesting casting. Like the uh, one thing I liked, although I, th- I thought the actor who played um, Matt Burke in this was fine, but in the in the the two thousand four, he's played by Andre Brower. Oh, yeah. Yep. yep. I'm trying to think yep. of. I, I what what have I seen him in? I know he's a uh, Brooklyn Nine. Uh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. yes, yes, yes. That's what um, it was. And uh, Donald Sutherland played uh, uh, Straker. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. damn! Wow. Listen, I mean, if you want to, if you want to watch a watch for them, but it's not. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but you know, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Well, I think we're probably saying something similar, where it's like three queer coded strangers roll into town shit starts falling apart and it's like again you know this is probably this is not was most likely not the intent of stephen king or the writer but it is really interesting like looking at it with a queer queer lens now and really seeing that like potential not potential i think it's pretty obvious like way of reading the film as three queer characters come into town and things are going bad and they get blamed for it 
I think it's a very interesting way of looking at this like vampirism as queerness and queerness as vampirism and as villainy, which I think is pretty, I think is like a relatively common thing in vampire films. But this one is even more fascinating because it's Straker and Barlow, but then it's, um, oh my God, I forgot his name. Ben. ben and then there's ben so it's an interesting tension between that idea of like queerness and villainy and what it means like kind of like a- antiquated visions of what queerness looks like in horror divorcing the, the the queer reading from it there's a point where the movie almost seems to want to make kind of a connection with with ben and straker and barlow because ben talks about how he asks the question with with dr burke about or is yeah is a doctor? No, he's that's a, his, he's, he's, he's a teacher. teacher. Yeah. He's asking the teacher. He's like, um, so do you think what if the house attracts evil men? Mm. And then it's like, well, why did it attract me? So if the house is attracting Straker and Barlow, and it's also attracting Ben, and then you also have like Ben having a conversation with Susan later, where he's like talking about how Salem's Lot was a quiet little town, and then all has happened since I came here. And so like you have this almost. Almost like it doesn't really pursue it any further than than kind of tossing it out there as a possibility. But there is like a connection there where you could almost make a line from this house is drawing basically all the queer characters to it because you you have Streaker and Barlow that rent it. And, you know, Ben Mears wanted to move into that house to write about it. And eventually you have the other, I, I would say, queer character of Mark getting dragged to the house. To like for for eventually of all of this circling around this house and all of these characters who in one way or another are kind of queer coded if you if you can look at it through that lens just converging on this house. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up Mark because he's definitely uh, portrayed as what we would have used to call the sensitive boy. Oh yeah, <laughs> or the the, ar- so the, the, the artist the artistic boy. You know, who, who's not too interested in, in playing sports. He wants to write plays and, you know... He wants to his, write pageants. He wants to write pageants. He is all and, of the Twitter gays, like Twitter film, horror film Twitter gays. <laughs> he is all of us. Yeah. He is every and single wants, one you know, of us. He wants to hold on to his, you know, his monster collection and all. And his parents are such assholes about oh it. Oh my god, yes. The conversations that his dad have with him, if you replace, like, monster with 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 gayness like there it's a conversation that a lot of like parents have had with their with their kid it's it's it was uncomfortable kind of to watch because there's like a subtext behind it where he's like you know sometimes i wonder you know why you're so interested in monsters and magic why do you think that is mark i always have been I can't explain it. It's the way I am. Hello, born this way. Gee, Dad, I don't know. I like boys. <laughs> like that is, and like and like his parents are having these like hushed conversations mm-hmm. about like you know they bring in the priest. Yeah, where he's just he's just playing. He's you know, he's playing with his models, and he didn't he didn't grieve the right way at his friend's funeral. And all this <laughs> and, must bring in the like, Catholic priest to fix him. Yeah, and it's just like that was definitely that was definitely amped up for the uh, the uh, the movie because in the book I don't recall them being just that outwardly you know, mean to him about his hobbies. I, it's it's just it's one of those things where like obviously Mark is is supposed to be sort of like 
the young version of, of Ben because, mm-hmm. you know, they make connections to the fact that when Mark wrote the pageant, just like you used to write the pageant, Ben, and, you know, like there's, there's definite connections there. And I think that once it kind of moves into the, the end of the film, it almost kind of is like a, a call me by your name, <laughs> <laughs> call me by your, call me by your Barlow, maybe where it's like an older <laughs> man and like a 19 year old boy have now like, absconded from the town and they're like all kind of sweaty and dirty and their chests are showing yeah seriously it was weird it was very weird well and and the idea is that like from what i was looking at it as is that you know a lot of queer people unfortunately have to have have to have fine chosen families because they're they're kicked out of their their homes and in this case you have like the home being basically destroyed by by vampires but like what what I found was interesting about the ending of this film in particular was how in the 80s you would see vampire films that would have queer subtext to it that would eventually like reassert the heteronormative um, status quo by the end of it. You know, Fright Night, the vampires are vanquished and Charlie's no longer questioning his sexuality. Lost Boys, you know, he's gets rid of the other people in his back near dark is the same thing like all of these vampire movies that have sort of a queer subtext to it eventually come back to a status quo but that doesn't happen here because the town is obliterated and at the very end he ends up killing ben ends up killing his quote-unquote sweetheart because she's a vampire and she offers him you know this could be us forever you know we'll be together and he's like nah i'm gonna go chill with this 19 year old boy Like, there's no turning back from this. This is a, a a destruction of heteronormativity and an embrace of these this now homosocial pairing that have decided to go on with their lives. Terry, can we just read a whole ass book about queer reading of Salem's Lot? Because I would read the shit out of it. It's so like I didn't I saw the queerness like in the in Straker and in Barlow, but like the way and in Mark too, I think. I texted you. I was like, just Mark, just say you like boys. Yeah. But it's so fascinating, like, really looking at this film like that. I think it's just a queer movie, like you said, Terry. And a really scary movie. Like, I got scared watching this yesterday in my bedroom. Yeah, it, it creeped it out is probably a better it, word for it. But yeah. It, well, yeah, it's so atmospheric. It's so atmospheric. Honestly, I think the vampires are really, really good in this. I love the the glowing contact lenses that apparently were created for this movie. Oh shit. They were apparently so uncomfortable that they could only be worn for 15 minutes and then they had to have like a 30 minute eye rest in between using them. So going back to this movie, it, it immediately brought me back as a kid seeing those the the piercing eyes and just them sort of glowing there. In particular Mike sitting in the in the oh, rocking chair. Oh yeah, that chair. scene is so, so good. It's so good. scary. I also like how the vampires, like you know, vampires are always described as pale, but they're like purple because they're it's like they're just dead corpses with the blood pooling under their skin. Like it's just so much more creepy and you see them more as zombie like zombie-like figures and with like this just awful dead look. Not just bloodless, but like too much blood if that makes sense. It's just like very oh, yeah, totally. off-putting. In a way that I appreciate. Like, again, I love me a nasty vampire who's gross. So, like, I love feral nasty vampires. So this is a very welcome, welcome film in my life about, like, still human, but, like, pretty gross vampires. Uh, I was going to say, oh, one thing, another thing that I like about this movie is just how claustrophobic it is. Um, Because if you notice... 
there's always somebody that's looking at Ben and some, where people are always say he, he mentioned something. Yeah, I heard. <laughs> it's like the whole town is just a buzz, just gossiping about him and watching what he's doing and, and just kind of casually going into his room and looking through his things. And that, that's, that's just, yes, that's just scary. It's, it's very unnerving. The, the scene where the woman who runs the boarding house and the, I guess the local homeless guy, like, what are you doing in here? Nothing, Eve, nothing. What's that? It's just a piece of paper. Eve, nothing on, just paper. You get a lot of scribbling here, too. Run into his room and just read his oh, story. Yeah. And I'm just like, what the fuck is wrong with y'all? Like, and even like Su- even Susan just walks into his room when he's not there yes. and like, yeah, you know, just starts going through his stuff. And it's like, y- you guys are all right doing this? Well, and also like, you know, they're told to be more discreet. Like, everyone knows you were up at the lake. Everyone knows you were doing this. You have to be more discreet. And I'm like, this seems like more sinister than just small town gossip. It's like <laughs> Big Ben is watching you. Like, there's right, eyes everywhere. Like, exactly. Like, we have, we have, you know, we have nothing else better to do than to watch what our neighbors are doing. So, you know, you know, watch your step, basically. Speaking of, of discreet, because, like, I was thinking, this dude is a grown-ass man, and this is a grown-ass woman. Why do they have to be fucking discreet? But can we talk about how he does not l- – so I looked it up, and the guy <laughs> – the actor that plays uh, a Ben, David Soul, was 35 or 36 when this was filmed. He does not look 35 or 36. He looks like a decade or two older than that. People always – everybody looked older back then. <laughs> Why is that? I, I, I honestly, God, I think it's because a lot more people smoked. Oh, and, 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 and smoking just like aged you like crazy. Because like I was That's looking at him, point. and I started like I went down like a my my podcast Google hole of like trying to find like well Chris Evans he's thirty nine and like all these people that are like in their thirties today that like would would be playing that kind of character. In in a role like this, and I'm like, he does not he does not look like he's 36 years old, and he literally was 36 when he filmed it. I think like I think like Gina said, I think people just take better care of themselves now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. he probably drank a lot and smoked a lot of cigarettes. At least that is that seems like a safe assumption for a movie from the 70s. Well, did, if you mentioned if you notice in one scene, they mentioned that. Uh... That uh, Straker is to be fifty five. <laughs> oh my god, uh, I forgot about that. That's now, right. Now, to be fair, James Mason himself was like seventy when he when he, he was, did I this I looked role. him up too. Yeah, it looked seventy. So I don't know why. I don't. I don't know why they tried to say he was fifty five. <laughs> uh, oh, that's god. so funny. Well, so Terry. Um, how many vampiric towns people out of five do you give Salem's Lot? Ooh, I, that's kind of a loaded question because um I. You know, I think I love the beginning. Um, I actually really enjoy the way that the the movie kind of tackled the way that Stephen King would set up a host of characters and like create sort of like that mise-en-scene that kind of this is this American life that's that's going on where everyone has like things that are happening where like the 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 real estate people are having an affair and she's married and like I love all of that little tiny small town stuff that Stephen King nails so well and I thought that it was adapted pretty well here I do think that kind of the middle sort of drags a bit um, and I actually lost a little bit of interest when uh, it felt like I guess all the vampirism was like backloaded and so it got to be a little too much watching it this time um Aww. although i think the, f- the finale is really entertaining so i i don't really know how i how i rate this i think 
I think I would give it maybe a three or three and a half. Okay. Um, out of, I think it's a little too long. I think three and a, three hours and 20 minutes is a bit long of a movie. Um, I am curious to go, I would like to rewatch like the, the European cut that I apparently devoured as a kid over and over again to see the differences with that sort of like less, a little less than two hour, uh, plot and see how that would have had held up but yeah i think three or three and a half uh vampiric towns people out of five for me okay. what about you mary beth i'm gonna give it four vampiric towns okay. people even though i told you i was bored at the beginning i really do like once it hit that first hour i think the next two hours went by so fast for me i was hmm. super invested in the world i was really invested in the characters and i mean we all know i love a vampire so when the vam like the vampires really started coming out and showing the way that these vampires work, I was just like in it. And then especially when they go into the house, like the very gothic, creepy, falling apart house. Oh yeah. I just <clears throat> it really got my attention and sucked me in um to a point where I was like this is re- actually pretty scary. I mean, again, creepy is a better vibe, but watching this as a- watching this as a kid, I would have been terrified and I, again, love it when the vampire is kind of gross. And I think that this is a much more nihilistic film than you usually see. And I love that. I love that it just, like, doesn't pull – doesn't, like, hold back in terms of killing children and killing family members and, like, really kind of cruel deaths, especially to Mark's parents. <laughs> so oh yeah, I just really loved it. So I'm going to give it a four. Um, Gina, you have the final thought. You have the final say. How many vampiric townspeople out of five do you give the Salem? Song? I'm going to give it a. I'm going to give it four point five vampiric townspeople. Cool. Oh, yeah. I, I think again. I think it's just because I, I I have a weird sort of nostalgia attached mm-hmm. to it because because um, I think that this you know I I I mentioned earlier that American World in London was the first horror movie I watched. I really really loved, but I think that this one made the first real impact on me as far as you know making me feel very you know uneasy and Mm -hmm. scared um so i think just for you know nostalgia gives that that extra half a point when they think of that that half of that half a townsperson more um i i actually would like to see a longer version believe it or not but like Mm. i said broken down into into you know a mini series like you tell you said like the outsider something Mm. like that um because I think that there are such interesting little interludes that they had to leave out for, you know, for, for length of time. And also some, some were, there's some sequences of the book that are really very gruesome. Yes. Um, one that stands out to me is uh, a baby gets bitten by a vampire. Yes. They kind of mention, they mention oh, it, wow. they mention it offhandedly in the movie, but in the, in the, in the book, there's a whole scene in which the baby is basically discovered by its mother. And, and it's very oh, wow. unpleasant. And like, um, there's a scene in which, uh, that's always stuck in my head as being, you, know, it, you, know, I would love to see a film version of this. And they, they did eventually do it in the 2004 version, but didn't quite come out the way I imagine it, where like a, a school bus driver gets on a bus and they're like, the whole bus is filled with vampire children. <laughs> and it, it sounds corny when I say it, but in the book, it's genuinely creepy. <laughs> and I would love to see just these odd little stories and more kind of how the town itself just sort of, you know, bad it's yeah. got just you know and, and again that's that's a very common theme in stephen king stories is how the, the whole you know, the very ground that the town is built on is just bad yeah and, right. and and you know maybe it's not that that uh you know barlow uh, you know, just kind of showed up at this town he was always meant to be there because it's yeah. just you know they just the, whatever is badness you know in in in, in the town it, it, it's drawing him in 
And I, I think I think you to explore that a little more would be would be interesting. Of course, then you kind of run into being a little too much like it. But mm. I, I I think it could you, you could you know with a little work you could separate the two pretty easily. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing that I guess popped up in my head uh, while I was watching this too is kind of like how you were talking Mary Beth about how long it, it takes a little bit to get there is that everyone in the beginning is like when is Barlow going to be here and everybody's like he's going to be here soon it's almost like waiting for Barlow <laughs> nice nice thank you you're off the podcast thank you, <laughs> thank you. well that was a good run guys <laughs> I, I, I think yeah I think that's your uh, PC resistance you can end it now yep. there you go I was like is this going to work is <laughs> I meant to say it in my in my rating, but yeah, here we go. go. Anyway, I appreciate, appreciate it and hate it at the same time. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Gina, for joining us to talk about waiting for Barlow. Uh, <laughs> where, where could our listeners find you, and what do you have coming up you'd like to share? Um, I am uh, co-host of the Kill by Kill podcast. Uh, some of our recent episodes have covered Blood Rage. Um, oh. We did. Uh, we're also doing. Um, we have an episode coming up devoted to Saw 4. That's our, our Saw's Giving episode. Uh, we also have a side project in which we are reviewing uh, episode by episode of Hannibal. Yeah, uh, so cool. That is our that is our next. That, I believe that should be our next episode as of this this date. Um, I also write for the Spool. Um, it's the Spool dot net. Uh, my recent articles have been a, a retrospective on the live action Grinch movie. If you oh really my god, I cannot wait to read it because I have a really <laughs> weird fucking soft spot for that gross-ass movie, so. Okay. Oh no, I'm sorry, I didn't like it. Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> that's, that's correct. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand why I like it so much. I, I understand the shame in which I like Jim Carrey in a full green outfit, but at least I know myself. <laughs> that's true, that's true. <laughs> And I, I'm also on Twitter under Porcelain72. Cool. Awesome. So, listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with Salem's Lot? You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. <laughs> McKaylee Trevor. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast at Scarred Podcast. Uh, and please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Steve Arnold for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. And thank you to everyone for listening. Stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. 
Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.